Hello, hello. This is Kathy Cola's Audiobooks, and today we have Episode 8 of The Roadrunner Cafe by Jamie Zernt. Heliana sends Carson on a scavenger hunt. Once he reaches the end, he should find the answers he seeks. Here we go. Carson sits in the hole, the rocks poking into his back, and tries to imagine what it would be like to be a tree. Probably a lot like his dad now, stiff and rigid, but he can't know for sure. Maybe it's fun being a tree. Maybe inside it's all confetti. Unborn confetti. Maybe, he thinks, leaning back against the dirt. But he doubts it. I'm sorry about the whole overpass thing. Okay, Carson mutters, sitting up. There's no point now in trying to relax with Heliana around. Okay? Carson shrugs, something he finds himself doing a lot lately. Why did you tell that woman my name? What was that all about? You never told me. We women have to have our secrets, Carson. It's what makes us stronger than you boys. Heliana hands him something like an envelope. It's gray, made entirely from duct tape, just like the ones she used to leave taped to the front of the cafe door. Is this another... Everything you need to know is in there. It'll probably take you most of the day, so you might want to pack some snacks. Think of it as an adventure. Then, without another word, Heliana stalks away. She often tended to walk like she was angry about something or other or on her way to do something extremely important, both of which annoyed Carson to no end. He's tempted to toss the envelope in the recycling bin, but as much as he isn't in the mood for a scavenger hunt, he knows his curiosity will eventually win out. And besides, a free bag of blow pops might not be all that bad. Inside the envelope, there's a note. If it's duct tape you're looking for, it's treasure ye be findin'. You have a sudden urge to visit the people garden. Find Patrick Beamy's tombstone, and you'll find your next clue. Start at the end to discover the beginning. Carson has never been to the cemetery. All he knows is that they haven't planted his father yet, who's still in a small wooden box in his mom's bedroom. She says she wants to keep him close for a while longer, that she isn't ready. But Carson wonders if that's changed now, too. The town is quiet in the summer, most of the tourists all having gone back to Texas, doing whatever Texas people do, filling their cowboy hats with oil and buying diamonds, probably. Texas is where Carson's dad always said the tourists came from. He said that Crested Butte belonged more to Texas now than it did to Colorado. Not that there's anything wrong with tourists, or Texans. It's just that it's like having house guests for six months out of every year. And it's kind of nice once they finally leave. All Carson knows is that he likes summers best when the blue of the sky hangs over the town, with only the occasional scratch of cloud. Carson considers telling his mom he's heading into town, but decides against it. Chances are she wouldn't even notice he's gone, busy as she is these days with the restaurant. He grabs his bike and pedals down the back streets to the outskirts where the cemetery is. There are a few people sitting outside the coffee shop across the street. 
talking and staring off at the headstones like they're paintings in a gallery. Carson recognizes a few of the people, but he isn't in the mood for small talk. Everybody knows what happened, but all they talk about is how sick of a snowboarder he's going to be someday, or how he should come skate with so-and-so, and that it's no good being alone all the time. And buck up, life will get better once he's older. Carson wants none of it. How did they all know things would get better? What if they didn't? They thought they knew things just because they were older, just because they were happy. Like happiness was the whole stupid point of life. Wasn't his father happy once? Look where that got him. The graveyard isn't all that big, maybe 300 dead people. Carson leaves his bike at the entrance, and after wandering aimlessly among the stones, eventually stumbles upon Patrick Beamy. The headstone is a replica of a scrabble board, only it's hard to tell because all the dirt and mildew. Carson uses his shirt sleeve to wipe some of the grime away, and soon uncovers a few words. Ski, bun, tender, love, flowers. In the place of the S at the end of flowers is a small piece of duct tape in the shape of a downward-pointing arrow, and on the ground, peeking out from under some loose dirt, is another note. Usual park, usual spot. Grab ye a satchel and look under the plank where the bubblicious likes to sleep. Carson pockets the note and, out of respect, removes the tiny piece of duct tape from the gravestone. The park, he figures, will probably be empty now, since nobody likes to go anywhere near the school during the summer. As he rides back through town, Carson finds himself thinking again of all those games of Scrabble he once played with his mom. He never really was very good at the game, which explained his expertise at blindly feeling out letters in the bag when she wasn't looking. He'd marvel at some of the strange words his mom would come up with, some like, Zax, Muzchik, and his favorite, Quixotry. He'd been convinced she was making it up, but after losing enough challenges, Carson learned to stop questioning her. His mom was just smart that way. And it wasn't just the game he'd learned not to question her about. It extended to pretty much everything. Turns out the park isn't empty. There's a pack of boys, older boys, hanging around the swings, some smoking, others roughhousing. They look like actors to Carson, like the bad kids in those cheesy after-school specials who never really seem all that bad. Carson pedals past them, the mountain looming in the background, always watching, observing, but never doing a thing. The elephant in the room. That's what Georgie always called it. Sometimes she'd whisper to Carson, pretending like the mountain could hear them. It used to freak Carson out a little when he was younger. Whenever the news reported an avalanche, Carson would find himself wondering if the mountain's ears had fallen off. He finds the picnic table he and Heliana used to sit at after school, and sure enough, stuck to the underside in a big wad of purple bubblegum is another note. While this may be the place where gum sleeps, Revenge does not. This is where you first told me about your dad. Avast, matey, the hour is almost nigh. Next, go to the hole that is your heart. 
Some things you can't replant. Carson doesn't like where this is heading, even though he can't exactly remember what he told her at the park. When it all first happened, Carson was like a walking cloud. Everything felt dipped in a syrupy fog. Everything feels dipped in a syrupy fog. The mountain could vanish. Even Carson himself could disappear, and it would be all the same to him. Or maybe Carson has already vanished. Sometimes he isn't sure. He rides past the group of boys again, and they all nod solemnly. This is something new, too, a kind of respect that wasn't there before. Before his dad died, they would have given him a hard time, probably told him to get a real bike or maybe made fun of their restaurant and yelled something stupid like, I'll have some eggs and bacon with a side of milf. But there's none of that now. Everywhere Carson goes, people know what happened, and it paralyzes them. And by their silence, by their not talking about it, they remind Carson. There's no getting away from it. It's just who he is now. Carson remembers seeing his dad watering the trees one night. He saw him crying, his whole body convulsing in the moonlight. All the things his dad must have been trying to keep inside suddenly heaving out. Almost like an exorcism. His demons pouring out into those dumb trees. Carson can remember people walking down the sidewalk and turning away, shaking their heads in pity. Watching from behind his bedroom curtain, Carson had felt both frightened and embarrassed. But now he realizes it wasn't really his father out there at all. It was a stranger, like that movie his dad always used to watch, the one Carson would call Attack of the Peapods, because he could never get the name right. That's what it was like. His father had been taken over by something that was pretending to be human, only it was exaggerating everything, trying too hard, laughing too hard over things that just weren't funny, or crying when doing a crossword or making breakfast. It was like his dad had become both too human and not human enough. After his father's tree had first been taken, people began leaving candles, sympathy cards, teddy bears. Someone even went so far as to fill in the hole and plant a homemade cross. They left a sign asking for donations so they could plant another tree in memoriam. His mom put a stop to that, though. She marched right outside with a shovel and dug the hole back out, and she did it without any dramatics, without any wailing or blubbering. When she finished, she pitched the dirt out into the road and put in her own sign. Do not touch. And that was that. No more candles. No more cards. No more stuffed animals. Just a hole. Back at the restaurant, Carson steps on something as he's searching for the next clue. When he bends down to see what's poking out of the dirt, the throbbing in his foot makes him think of phantom limbs, that thing where people think an amputated leg or arm is still there. Carson knows it's silly, but he wonders if his father's tree misses its hole, if its roots throbbed. Who was to say they didn't? Carson digs around the edges with his fingers and pulls a small doll from the dirt. Just as he's about to spit on the face to see who he's dealing with, 
He hears his mother's voice behind him. Carson, I was looking all over for you. Where the hell have you been? I don't know, he says, shoving the mud cake doll into his pocket. Around? His mother kneels down beside him. When she does, Carson notices a piece of duct tape on the do not touch sign by the hole. He'll have to deal with it later. Seeing as right now her face is creasing up with worry, like there's a drawstring somewhere that someone's yanking on. Carson knows what's coming next. Her careful voice. The voice she uses whenever talking about his dad. Were you looking for something, honey? Did you lose something? Or did you just miss? It's nothing like that, Mom. If Carson doesn't think fast, he'll soon be getting a talk about the grieving process, about how it's okay to feel things, that it's necessary. Do we have any of that broccoli soup? Cauliflower today. I'll heat you some up if you want, though. Sure, Mom, that'd be great. His mother tousles his hair, but when she doesn't move, Carson realizes he'll have to work it a little more. I'll be right in, he says as morosely as possible. I just want a minute to, you know. Of course, sweetie, she says. You just take your time now. Carson's tree is opposite his dad's, bookending the others. It's the exact same kind of tree, a white birch, only smaller. Carson has never much cared for it. The tree always looked weak to him, the branches thin and sickly. Out of all the trees, his tree was the wimp. He peels the duct tape from the sign, finds another clue stuck underneath. Now you'll be heading to the library, a truly magical place not too far from here, where you shall sing the ballad of the sad cafe. Carson shoves the note in his pocket. What was Heliana up to? And more importantly, why? He strolls inside, takes a seat at the counter, where a steaming bowl of soup's already been set out for him. The restaurant isn't too crowded, just enough to keep his mother busy, which is good. She seems almost happy since reopening. Someone's gonna step on that lip of yours, you let it hang much lower. It's Gordon. He comes into town once a week or so, always eating at least one meal at the cafe. A long gray beard hangs down past his waist. And on more than one occasion, Carson has seen wood chips hiding in there. Gordon is a chainsaw artist. Totems, bears, elk, bedposts, pretty much anything. Carson and his dad used to visit his place up in Pitkin during the summers. Once, Gordon even let him play around with one of the chainsaws. But then his mom found out about it, and the visit suddenly came to an end. My lip's just fine, Carson mutters, his tone bordering on petulant. It isn't how he normally speaks to Gordon. Gordon is his friend, more so than any other adult in town. Hey, Gordon says, ignoring his tone and swiveling his stool toward Carson. You want to hear what I'm working on? Carson sips his soup, decides he'll try to be nicer. It doesn't feel good doing otherwise. In another eagle? He asks between spoonfuls. That last one you did was pretty rad. Nope, Gordon says, although I like that one too. This one's even better.
Ready for it? Carson nods. Somebody wants a clown made of black walnut. Cool, huh? Better than another bear, I guess. You guess? If I have to do one more stupid bear, I'm going to turn one of those chainsaws on myself. Gordon starts to laugh, then stops short. Oh, he says. I'm sorry, Carson. I didn't mean nothing by that. It's okay, Carson says, waving it off with his spoon. I know you didn't. Carson goes back to eating his soup, wondering what's in store for him at the library. He knows his mother named the restaurant after the Ballad of the Sad Cafe, but Carson has never actually read it. It was all too silly what Heliana had him doing. But then Carson realizes what he's been secretly hoping for all along, that his father will somehow be there, alive, at the end of the scavenger hunt. And then it'll turn out that his death was just a big hoax, a put-on, and the whole town had been in on it, a prank to teach Carson some sort of lesson. What that lesson is, though, he can't imagine. Carson shakes his head like he's trying to etch-a-sketch his thoughts away. You miss your dad? Carson had nearly forgotten about Gordon. When he doesn't answer, Gordon rakes his fingers through his beard. Stupid question, I suppose, he says. I miss him. Not a day goes by I don't think about your dad. I just don't get it. Guess I never will. Nobody has ever asked Carson that question before. Nobody. Carson clears his throat, deciding he probably should say something, seeing as how somebody actually had the guts to mention his dad. Yeah, he says. I miss him. And to Carson's surprise, it almost feels good to say. Gordon nods, reaches over, gives Carson a soft pat on the shoulder. You come visit me, he says. I'll try to arrange something with your mom. That sound good to you? Carson nods. Gordon won't bring up his dad again. But it's like some kind of spell has been broken. Like Carson has been invisible up until then, and that one question has made him flesh and blood again. Now maybe he won't feel like a piece of lettuce stuck in the town's teeth that nobody wants to mention. He's free now. At least that's what he's telling himself. How's my little man doing out here? Or maybe not. I'm fine, Mom. Could use some coffee here, though. I'm letting you drink coffee now. Is that it? Studies have shown caffeine to be extremely therapeutic. Nice try, bud. Carson doesn't mention the library to his mom, or the Scrabble headstone, or the overpass, or Heliana's bizarre notes. But he does mention the book. Do we have a copy of The Ballad of the Sad Cafe around? The Ballad of who? Mom. Sorry. Why would you suddenly want to read that? You've never been interested in it before. It's just something Heliana mentioned. The drawstring is being pulled again, his mom's face tightening with worry. There's something off about that girl, she says. It might be best not to hang out with her so much, okay? She's fine, Carson says, zero conviction in his voice. His mom smiles. You know exactly what I'm talking about, though, don't you? She lowers her voice a little. 
she's a little weird. But everybody's weird, if you look closely enough. Borden makes a goofy face at Carson from behind his mother's back, and Carson has to try hard not to smile when his mom says, but there's good weird, and then there's just plain weird weird. Carson rolls his eyes. She's fine, Mom. Trust me, okay? Carson decides it's best not to bring up the book again, and when he finishes his soup, promises Gordon he'll come visit him soon. He then waits until he and his bike are a good block away before digging in his pocket. When he uncakes the dirt, he finds a Barbie doll staring back at him. It's one of his sisters, from that movie she used to watch all the time, Holly's something or other. When most other girls were busy hanging posters of mermaids on their bedroom walls or reading vampire books, Georgie had been watching old movies with her dad. Carson studies the doll, the funny hair. She's dead now, the actress, from cancer. He remembers Georgie crying when she found that out. Carson can't help but wonder what it would have been like if his dad had died of cancer. Would it have been easier? He probably would have had the chance to say goodbye, at least. That's the thing that bugs him the most. The forgetting. Carson can't for the life of him remember the last thing he said to his dad. It's like everything from that day has gone through some kind of blender. All the moments scrambled together. All the parts indistinguishable from one another now. To the best of his knowledge, the last thing he said to his father was either $14 or no thanks, none of which was exactly great. And what if hanging yourself was like dying from cancer? What if people could walk into the room and hold your hand while you stood there on the chair? Or cry beside you and tell you all the things they needed to? Carson tries to picture himself standing there under the thick rope around his father's neck. He tries to imagine himself looking up at his father's face, but the face is a blur, like his brain won't let him see it, like it's protecting Carson from something. But it doesn't matter. Carson knows exactly what he would have said. Fuck you. And there you have it. Don't forget to join me on Monday for Episode 9 of The Roadrunner Cafe by Jamie Zernt. To check out more of my work, go to my website at kathycolas.com. That's C-A-T-H-I-C-O-L-A-S dot com. If you're an author looking to turn your book into an audiobook, email me at kathycolas at gmail.com. Let's talk. And if you like the podcast, please leave a review or share it on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on Monday.